Hello, hello. I'm Andrew Van, and this is the Media Diary Podcast, where I go over the movies, music, TV shows, and what have you that recently caught my attention and I wanted to share my opinions on. For this episode, I wanted to talk a bit about my thoughts on band reunions, how they can be messy and sometimes, depending on the performers, a detriment to their fans. All of this was set off by the recent, at time of recording, announcement that Tom DeLonge would be rejoining Blink-182, and that Matt Skiba, who filled his shoes for the back half of the 2010s, is apparently out. So let's dig a bit into the context here. Tom is a founding member of Blink and has had two pretty high-profile splits from the band in the past, first in 2004-2005-ish and again in 2014, respectively. Each time, he has gone on to focus on his other musical project, Angels and Airwaves, as well as his quite infamous UFO chasing. Ideally, his return should be an exciting turn of events, given that he's one of the original members, he was part of their classic lineup during the Enema of the State era, and he wrote many of their hit singles like All the Small Things and Staying Together for the Kids. With the announcement that he was rejoining the band, Tom posted an open letter to Matt Skiba, saying that he was proud of Matt's time in the band and wasn't trying to ruffle any feathers by rejoining. Blink, and Matt responded saying that there was no bad blood. You never know how much of this is industry posturing, but in either case, nobody seems to be shit-talking each other at this point, which is good. But it remains to be seen what effects this will have on the band going forward. Is Tom being back in the band purely a nostalgia grab? How's he going to fit into the album writing process? Especially given how difficult he was to work with during the last two albums that he was on. But the situation reminds me of another recent reunion that I had more mixed feelings about, which is John Frusciante reuniting with with Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's kind of a similar situation. John played on a lot of their classic albums like Blood Sugar Sex Magic and Californication, and for most of the 2010s he was not in the band and had been replaced by Josh Klinghoffer. And much like Tom and Matt in Blink, John and Josh were swapped in the Chili Peppers. And this left me feeling a little bit sour because Josh and John actually played together on a number of tours following the release of Stadium Arcadium in the mid-2000s, which in my humble opinion is maybe their best era as a live band. Like, they had two bad bitch Hendrix-tier guitarists in the band at the same time, and it seems weird to me that they wouldn't just bring John into the band rather than replace Josh with him. Which is wild to me, because not only do these guys know from previous tours that these guys play really well together, John and Josh made albums together in the 2000s. I mean, Josh was hand-picked to be John Frusciante's replacement because of his close collaborations with the guy. 
And John Frusciante is known for not being particularly receptive to learning and playing songs that the band wrote with other guitarists. To my knowledge, he flat out refuses to play anything off of the albums the Chili Peppers did with Dave Navarro or Jack Sherman, though he will occasionally play Hillel Slovak songs. And a cursory look at setlist.fm entries for their latest tour seems to confirm that they just aren't playing anything off of I'm With You or The Getaway, the two albums Josh Klinghoffer did with the band. Which sucks if you're a fan of the band who likes anything off of those records that John won't play. And yeah, arguably their best stuff was done with Frusciante on guitar, but it feels to me like they're replacing a guitarist who is willing to play another guy's stuff with one who isn't because that player has more nostalgia brand recognition, I guess. But you'd think that a band as big and prolific as the Red Hot Chili Peppers wouldn't need to resort to that sort of tactic to fill seats or renew interest in the band. And to kind of tie this back, I guess this is the sort of situation that I'm worried about with Tom rejoining Blink-182, is that if he goes the same way that Frusciante does, we're missing out on two albums worth of material that I do like. And what are we getting in return? The vague sense that we're going back to the band's roots? I don't think so. Tom's been trying to break them out of the pop-punk mold ever since Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. These guys are almost 50 years old at this point. They are not going to sound like they did 30 years ago. And as stripped back as their new single Edging is, it doesn't sound like vintage Blink. And if this is all genuinely just these three musicians rekindling their friendship and getting the creative juices flowing again, all the power to them. And I'd certainly rather see the band go the route of, say, like, the band Garbage, who did a whole slew of albums after they reunited, instead of being just a one-and-done or a gimmick. It does kind of annoy me when bands go and do a one-and-done reunion and don't keep the ball rolling with multiple projects. And the other factor here, too, is that Blink-182 is a band that is... I think safely past its middle age as a project. They had their golden age, if you will. They've come back from at least one full band hiatus, and they stayed successful as far as album sales and tour revenue went after switching singers. If Tom stays with the band for the long haul, riding out the rest of their career, what's that going to look like? Is he finally at a place where he can prioritize Blink over his own interests and Angels and Airwaves? I don't know, and only time will tell. But while we're on the topic of band reunions, I'd like to talk a little bit about the current state of Guns N' Roses, a band infamous for their many lineup changes and interpersonal drama who recently welcomed back guitarist Slash and bassist Duff McKagan, who were both absent from 
from the band for most of the last 20 years. As one of the only people who really loved the Chinese Democracy record Guns N' Roses put out in the 2000s, I was disappointed to see Slash and Duff rejoin the band personally, because it would mean that material from those sessions would not manifest into a second or third album. But the band have been doing something interesting in their live shows since Slash and Duff rejoined the band. They're playing songs from Chinese Democracy, and what's more, they're also playing songs from Velvet Revolver, the band that Duff and Slash formed with Scott Wayland of Stone Temple Pilots in the 2000s. And I think this is personally a very interesting compromise for the band to arrive at, especially given the infamous egos at play here. As a fan, there isn't a way for me to experience a authentic Velvet Revolver concert anymore. That band broke up in the late 2000s, and Scott Wayland is very dead at this point. So this is the closest thing I can really get. It's a surprising move, and deeply interesting because Axl Rose is not a very similar vocalist to Scott Wayland. So when they get up there and he starts singing the verses for Slither, it's this crazy crossover moment. These bands had shared members, shared audiences, and are tied together in their legacies because of this. Why not get out there and celebrate it? Outkast did something kind of similar to this a number of years back when they reunited for a string of headlining festivals, dividing their set into a couple of mini-marathons curated around different stages of that band's career, while making time for each of its members to perform solo material. So they'd play some of the hits, then Big Boy would play some of his songs, and then Andre 3000 would play some of his songs, and then they'd come back together at the end to play some of their really old shit. They weren't there just to play outcast stuff, they were there to celebrate their legacies as two creative minds with intertwined legacies. And I find this such a more rewarding setup as a fan than bringing back the old guy so we can play the hits. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. I hope I didn't come across as too scathing towards Blink-182 or Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're both bands that have been and continue to be very important to me. This was criticism, not condemnation. If you'd like to hear more of my music opinions, feel free to look us up up under Media Diary Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. And as always, thank you for listening to my cruddy opinions.